Hi, I'm Aubrey. Thanks for joining the podcast for Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live or in person at 9 and 1030 in English or 1145 in Spanish. This year, we'll also have three Christmas Eve services. We'll have two indoor at 2 and 3.30 and one outdoor at 5.30. We hope to see you soon. All right. Well, I wonder uh, today what image comes to mind? What image comes to mind when you think of Christmas? There's a lot of memories, right? A lot of traditions. And oh, so many Christmas movies Can I get an amen? I mean, some of you have the Hallmark Channel on repeat this time of year, and you're watching The Christmas Carol, The Christmas Story, The Christmas, I don't know, every movie has, I don't even know what what they are. I'm not really into that genre as much, but some of you, that's your jam, I get it. But I was thinking today of some images of Christmas, and and for me, maybe because I have kids, maybe because I am just a giant big kid. I think of Christmas in terms of, of, of a movie. So for some of you, maybe it's this, maybe it's, it's Charlie Brown, right? Like you think of Christmas and you think of poor Charlie Brown and his little piddly tree. Um, that's, that's an image of Christmas. And you may even say that's a staple. You know, we, we watch it every year. It's maybe that's for you. That's your image. Others, it's, it's other ones, but maybe, maybe that's an image for you. Um, uh, there's, there's one for us and our family that uh, each and every year, uh, you see the next slide here. Uh, this is an image of Christmas for us. Not, not the screaming, but the movie, right? Uh, Home Alone. You may not like Home Alone. You may think it's, but it, you have not watched it with my 10-year-old son cackling in the background the entire time. I promise you. Uh, it's a joyful moment. And for us, it's, it's one of the things. It's like, it's not Christmas until we watch, until I hear Jackson cackling to half of Home Alone in the background. But for those of you uh, that know me well, if you've been with us for a few Christmases, you know I've already felt your judgment. But there's one movie for me. It's not It's a Wonderful Life. It's not, you know, whatever it is for you. And it's, yours is much more refined and distinguished. But for me, the movie, my, my kids know, my family knows, it's not Christmas for me until I watch Elf. It's true. It's true. Uh, and some of you, you know, even last year, you're like, oh, I forgot why I didn't like this guy. You know, uh, you already remember that. But it's true for me. For me, uh, this is the movie. Why is it the movie? I don't know. But I just like the opening credits and I just start laughing and I'm just a giant kid. But this is an image of Christmas for me. I'm not saying it's the most important image. Don't, don't get mad or angry or don't email me. But I'm just like, for me. It's an image of Christmas. It's a, it's a, it's a moment. It's, it, 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 to me, it signifies, hey, Christmas is here as I watch the giant goofy guy dance around in his tights to the movie Elf. Uh, but the truth is, the truth is, you can take that down. We'll never be able to worship now that we saw that. Uh, the truth is, when most of us think of Christmas, we, we think of it in terms of the past, don't we? Past memories, traditions that we loved over the years, moments that we cherish And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think we all resonate with that. In fact, that's what we think of when we think of the Christmas story, don't we? We we think of uh, Christmas as a historical moment, and it was. Christmas is a historical reality. It, It is a moment, a moment that we can point to that really happened. If we have all of the moments that have ever existed, it's a moment that we can pick up off the timeline and say, look, look, 
in that moment, a moment that was promised for generations and generations and generations, a moment that happened, actually happened, and that forever changed the course of history. But oftentimes for us, we, we view Christmas as a past, as a past tense thing. Problem is that Christmas is really as much about the future as it is about the past. And that's really what we're going to be hanging out today. That's what we're going to be leaning into. That Christmas, for us, and not just for us, but for all people, is really as much about the future. People in the first century may have seen Christmas as an end, as a culmination of the promise of God, but it was really just a beginning. And from our vantage point, where we stand today, we know something very, very important was to come after that first Christmas, was to come after the reality of the baby in the manger. Uh, Welcome. We're we're in the midst of our series called The Newborn King. The Newborn King. We just sang about this newborn king, right? The season of Advent. Advent literally means the arrival, the arrival. And so that's why each week we light a different candle to celebrate, to anticipate the arrival of who? The newborn king. And we're learning throughout the series that to claim him as king, to acknowledge, as we just sang, that he's the newborn king, that means something. It means I'm not the king. (laughs) Because either he's the king... (laughs) or he's not. And we're learning to acknowledge uh, him as king, to be part of his kingdom means something. We, We learned about this last week, that his kingdom does not operate like our kingdom does. That the Christmas story, as you read it, is a very upside down kind of story because his kingdom is a very upside down kingdom. It does not operate and function the way our world does. Look at how this king chose to come, this newborn king, not with power and prestige, but in humility. Born into obscurity, the subjects, the subjects of this kingdom don't take their cue from the world around them. No, no, no. They take their cue from the king, the king who loved, the king who sacrificed, the servant king. But the reality is Jesus represents, yes, he represents the fulfillment of a promise. We we focus on that often at Christmas, but Jesus also represents a promise still to come, a future promise. Christmas for us as believers, it can't be a past tense event only. It can't. Because on Christmas, the king arrived and he set into motion his kingdom. And the good news for us is we get to experience that here and now. We get to see moments. Uh, I love the Advent video this morning where it talked about experiencing joy in the midst of grief. That's, that's experiencing glimpses of this kingdom, his kingdom here among us. And we get to see little glimpses and glimmers of that. But the reality is we have yet to experience the ultimate fulfillment of his kingdom. See, the the promise of Jesus as king is not just the promise of a baby in the manger. We make the mistake when we only think of our king in that way. And so in that way, today, uh, the official title of the message is tomorrow, but the unofficial uh, title of the message today is Christmas Part 2, because we like Christmas and we think of Christmas Part 1, but today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a biblical view of Christmas that's very different than any Christmas card you're sending or receiving, I- any focus that you might have, and, and in some ways you might think, that's not Christmas, but today I'm going to suggest, oh, it's Christmas, it's Christmas Part 2. Not just what does Christmas mean in the past, not just what does Christmas mean today, but what does Christmas mean for my future for tomorrow? 
And with that said, would you turn with me to Revelation 19? Man, does that just, you're like, wow, Christmas, Revelation 19. There's a scripture that's not on my Christmas card this year, and you're right. But here's the issue. For, for us, the, the tension we might feel, we might feel like this is an un-Christmas kind of passage. But the truth is, that's not really biblical thinking. That's not biblical thinking, because viewing Jesus as king requires us, requires us to focus here today at Revelation 19. Uh, as you're turning there, you may say, what is Revelation? What is Revelation? Well, Revelation is, it's uh, written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John at the end of his life, and he's in exile. And as he's in exile, uh, he, he receives a vision, a revelation from God. And he writes it down, and he sends it. He sends it as a letter to uh, churches scattered throughout the region of Asia Minor with important instructions, not not instructions necessarily about the past. There's some instructions in Revelation about the present, but this is very much instructions about what is to come, about tomorrow. And so here we're reading a, a revelation, a picture of what is to come at the end, what is coming tomorrow. <laughs> That's what we see here. And so we're going to read just a few verses. Revelation 19, verse 11. If you haven't read Revelation recently, you are in for a treat because there's some stuff here, man. There's some imagery. We're going to have to unpack it a little bit. So we're going to go uh, verse by verse uh, through this, stop a little bit and refocus. This is Christmas part two, Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. It says this, I saw heaven standing open. This is John. This is the revelation he sees revealed to him by the Lord, writing it down, sharing it with the churches. But what is he saying? He's saying, I, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Pause. Come up for air for a minute. You might have questions. Hey, I do too. Look at, here's the vision that we get. This is not a past tense vision. This is a vision yet to come, but this is the vision that we get. Heaven is opening up and Jesus, the king, is returning. The king is returning. The, the white horse, the symbol here was a common uh, Roman symbol of the emperor triumphing over his enemies on a white horse. So this is powerful imagery that John is writing here. And we see not one crown, but multiple crowns. What does that mean? It means it represents God's sovereignty over all thrones and all kingdoms. This is a picture in Revelation 19, literally of the king of kings. He's got all the crowns on his head, right? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. It says, it says he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, and he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. There's an image for you today, right? His name is the word of God. You say, his name is the word of God. Yeah, what does John 1 say? What does John 1 say about the first Christmas, part 1? John 1 says it this way, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, that the word was God. And so in Revelation 19, we see in Christmas, part 2, what is his name? His name is the word of God. This is Jesus. This is the king coming. Verse 14 says, The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, as the prophecy has said. 
He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. There's a lot happening here, but pause. Let's catch a glimpse. Let's catch a glimpse, right? Uh, This is the king in his kingdom. Uh, Those who have been redeemed. And in verse 15, we see literally a sword coming out of his mouth. This is straight out of prophecy. Look back uh, later. Isaiah chapter 11. Psalm chapter 2. This is the king again fulfilling. Christmas part 1, we we read about all the fulfilling of the prophecy, right? Christmas part 2, there it is again. The king is coming. And this is prophecy after prophecy being foretold. And this picture of Jesus stomping over the wickedness of the earth, that's the image we get. The same way that people trample on grapes in a wine press, that's the image that we get of the judgment of God in this moment. Now, pause for a minute. Jesus' first appearance on earth. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, right? We get a picture of what? A picture of humility, a picture of sacrifice, but Christmas part two, it's a different picture, isn't it? It's a picture of his second coming, and now he comes with glory and with power. We just sang, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever. That's a picture of Revelation 19 as the king returns, and he's got all the crowns on his head, and he's coming in judgment, and he's got an army with him. This is the king now coming to return. Look again, we're almost done. Verse 16, don't miss this verse. It says, on his robe and on his thigh. That was, it was common of kings of the day to have an inscription, a, a title, their accolades written upon their robe or even upon their thigh. But what does it say that this king has written on his robe and on his thigh? King of kings, Lord of lords. Of all the kings that have ever existed, he's the king of kings. Of all the things that you could declare as Lord of your, he is the Lord of all of that. This is the picture that we get. When we read, when we read these well-known words from Isaiah chapter 9, we've read them already in this Advent season. We will read them often gathered with family. Uh, We remember and reflect on these words, these prophetic words written in Isaiah chapter 9. But I want to invite you for a moment. Would you join me for a minute? Would you close your eyes for just a minute? And I want you to picture the words that I'm about to read. Not as a picture of Christmas part one, the baby in a manger. But as I read these words, I want you to picture Christmas part two. The king of kings coming out of heaven. Can you picture it with me? Close your eyes for just a minute as I read these words and imagine this moment, the king returning. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you picture it? Picture it with me now. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. You can open your eyes if they're still closed, but perhaps Christmas isn't just ideal for recalling his birth, but but maybe Christmas is the right time, the exact time that we should speak of, anticipate his return. 
You're still not convinced. Okay, I get it. You're still like, this is the weirdest Christmas message I've ever heard. I, okay, I, I get you. But, but let, me, let me not try to convince you today. Let, let, me, let me try to use a, a well-known song, a song that you know by heart, a song that you will sing often in this season. Maybe that can convince you because one of the most famous Christmas songs ever written was not, was not written based on Christmas part one, was not written based on the imagery we think of the Christmas in the manger. No, no, no. It was written very much. It was written very much focused on Christmas part two. His name was Isaac Watts. If you don't know him, he, he was, lived 300 years ago, but he was an English poet and clergyman. And he wrote a song that is synonymous with Christmas. We, we talked about what's your image of Christmas. For some of you, this song might be it. But what's remarkable is the inspiration for this hymn, the inspiration for these words was not the traditional nativity scene, but instead it was words from Psalm 98. Psalm 98, and you don't have to have that memorized. I have it here on the screen. Look with me at these words on Psalm 98, and then as you're reading them, imagine the Christmas song that these words inspire. What does it say in Psalm 98? Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Some of you already know the song, right? Make music to the Lord and with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. You know I'm going to be excited. We're talking about the newborn king, and there it is in Psalm 98, right? You can't make this up. Let the sea resound in everything in it, all of creation, right? The world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Man, get this. There's an image. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is not a picture of a baby in a manger, is it? It's a picture of a king returning. It's a picture of Revelation 19. And all these years later, when you sang that song at Christmas, you thought you were singing about the baby in the manger. There's nothing wrong with the baby in the manger. I I like that baby. (laughs) I like that image. But instead, you were singing about the great and coming king. You know the song, right? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. All creation sing, right? Look now at verse 2. This is a celebration of the returning of the conquering king. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. He reigns. He's king, right? Let men and and their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sound. All, All creation, the rocks and the hills and the plains and the oceans, everything is proclaiming that you have no rival and you have no equal. You're the king of kings. What does it say? Skip with me to verse 4. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. 
and wonders of his love. That's the song we sing and we cherish. Oh, it, it shares of Christmas part one, sure, but, but this is a song, a prophetic song, pointing us to a moment that is yet to come. Not a moment of the past, but a moment of tomorrow when the king returns and we shout joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's a beautiful moment. <laughs> I, I was thinking of the visual of Christmas. Um, I, I began by asking you, what do you picture? What's the image that you think of when you think of Christmas? And so, of course, this is the image. And please don't leave today saying, that pastor hates the manger. He hates Christmas. No. It's a beautiful picture of Christmas, isn't it? That Emmanuel, he came to be God with us, clothed, clothed in our humanity. This is a beautiful image and sometimes there's another image, of course, that we think of when we think of through the story of God because we know that this moment was promised for generations and generations and this moment happened. It really happened. God became one of us. But as we continue to read, we know the reason that he came, the reason he came was because of our sin, because of our brokenness. He came to die for us. The newborn king came to lay down his life for us. And so there's another image that we get of this newborn king, isn't it? It's a crown, but it's a crown of thorns because he came to suffer. The king, the king came to suffer. I love, I love the song. It's not a traditional song that we sing, but it's been written uh, now 15, 20 years ago. The songwriter put it this way. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their own? How many gods became the least for me. It's the idea of what is Christmas. It's acknowledging God came not just to be with us, but to die for us so that we could know him. So sin is not our ultimate reality. So brokenness and despair and hopelessness is not the final answer in my life. Why? Because of Christmas. Because he came not just to be God with us, but he came. He died for us. But there's one more picture and we might miss it. We might miss it if we kind of just compartmentalize the story and we just think of it in terms of what we're familiar with. And, and if we miss the power of what's happening in Revelation 19, there's one more picture that I think, that I think we need, that long, we long for. And it's the picture of a different sort of crown, isn't it? Because in Revelation 19, he's no longer wearing a crown of thorns, is he? He's no longer the king in the manger, is he? No, this newborn king is coming, and he's, he's a conquering king. And he's wearing a crown, a real crown. And in that moment, he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and every knee will bow. And in that moment, there is no sickness that can stand. There is no brokenness that can stand. Everything will kneel before the king of kings and Lord of lords. That's, that's the image. That's the image of tomorrow, the image that we long for. It's the image of Christmas. This morning, I, I want to I conclude with a little bit of so what. Maybe so far, maybe I've, I've tried my best to convince you. Maybe some of you have, okay, I get it. Christmas, it's about tomorrow. Please don't ask me to read Revelation 19 to my kids around the Christmas tree on it. Don't ask me, Pat. Okay, I get it. But what does this mean? 
why, why would we spend a Sunday in Advent pointing towards th- this future reality? And maybe you came in and said, yeah, I, I know that that exists, but let's just, can't Christmas just be about this? The so what of today? I want to offer just three quick, quick ideas because the bottom line today is, is this, that Christmas is just as much about tomorrow as it is about yesterday. It's just as much about tomorrow. I'm not saying yesterday doesn't matter. I'm not saying we shouldn't remember and celebrate. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that we don't celebrate and worship and remember newborn king in the manger. But, but I am saying today, if we do all of that at the expense of remembering what is to come, we haven't really gotten a hold of the complete Christmas story because Christmas is just as much about tomorrow as it is about yesterday. So what does that mean for you right now, today? Because I think that's what matters, right? What is it about this, Adrian, that matters for my life today? I want to suggest three things. They all start with the letter P. I don't do that very much. It just worked today. So just try your best to be really impressed. Uh, don't come back next week expecting a similar ordeal. But uh, three things, and, and just briefly, because I think they matter. What, what does this mean for us? Well, the first word I want us to remember is promise. Why does this matter for us? It matters for us because the story of God is not just about the promise of Christ's first coming being fulfilled. The story of God is the promise, the promise he's coming again. And that's not just some throwaway line that we say. It's not just something we say, oh, he's coming again. No, no, we believe that's true. And we live in a world where we're used to broken promises. It happens all the time. Look to your neighbor left and right. They've broken a promise. Sorry about that. It hurts, right? But we're just kind of used to that. And so we sometimes struggle with this idea of a God who keeps his promise. But the reality of Christmas and the reality of the story of God is we see a God that kept his promise each and every time. So as we read Revelation, 19, as we remember the promise of God, the King of Kings, we can declare emphatically we serve a God who keeps his promise, and he will come again. He will come again. Just as for generations and generations, they were promised his first coming, we're promised his second coming, and it matters to us because we serve a God who keeps his promise. Next, what does this mean for us? It really, it really does bring peace. And you might read Revelation 19, and it's an unsettling feeling. There's a tension there, isn't there? Because we love the idea of the baby in the manger, but we're a little uncomfortable with the image of the king and the sword coming out of his mouth and trampling over. We're a little uncomfortable with that image, aren't we? Because we read throughout the story of God that he's the lion and the lamb. We like the lamb, don't we? But we're a little uncomfortable with the God who's the lion. We're a little uncomfortable with that image of the wrath, the judgment of God that is coming. But the reality is, for those of us who are in Christ, we believe in Christ, we have faith in Christ. The reality for us is, we can have incredible peace. Why? Because we're living now in a world, and we get to see his kingdom, but we get to see a lot of brokenness, don't we? We get to see a lot. I don't have to tell you about that. You're living it. You experience it right now. You have anxiety you, 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 in your heart. You, there's, there's hard things happening in and around you. There's brokenness in your life and in the real life. You, you see that. You experience the weight of that. And, and if Christmas part one was the only part 
We're kind of living in this reality of brokenness and just trying to put our heads down and get through. But because of Christmas part two, because we know that he is king and one day he's coming back and one day everything is going to kneel at his feet, we can have peace in a broken world. Because I'm not king. I'm not king of this world. I can't fix it, God. I can't solve it. I, I can't heal it. I can't redeem it, but you can. So the so what for us is we can have peace that the king's coming back. That should matter to us. That we, we should long for that moment in the midst of brokenness and pain. Come, King Jesus. We long for you. We long for you to fulfill, not just that you kept your promise, you're going to keep it again, and we long for you to come again, to come again. Finally, finally, uh, the word passion, you can already tell I've got some passion about this, but I think, I think this image of the returning king in the hearts of those of us that believe in the hearts of those of us that have a relationship with God, we can have peace for that moment because we know, we know we're in right relationship with the King. And that should stir something up within us. It should cause passion. The reality that Christ is coming again should stir something up within us, a longing, an urgency. The, the reality of Christmas part two, what does it do? It it points us on mission. As a church, we have a mission to be transformed by God, to bring hope to others through Christ. Why do we have that mission? We have that mission because the King is coming back. He's coming back, and that matters to us. It matters that there's broken people around us that don't know that yet. It matters to us that there's people around us that don't know the King yet. It matters to us. And we long, we long for that day, but until that day comes, we've got work to do. There's something I can do. There's an impact I can make. There, there's people that need to be loved. There's people that desperately need hope. And it does something in us. It fuels us. It compels us. Because the king's coming back. The king's coming back. As we close today, I, I want to pray for hope for you. Can I tell you a little bit about what that means in my context this Christmas? I've shared this with a few in the church, it's not a secret, but my dad over the last year has been diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. It's uh, a, a disease that impacts his lungs. He really isn't able to breathe at full capacity. And nobody has said, well, this is your last Christmas. But, but it just changes. Many of you know that. You know what it's like to sit around the table or around the tree or however you celebrate Christmas and, and to kind of to know, to question, is this going to be our last Christmas with? And I've got an 85-year-old grandma. So for, for years, I've always thought maybe this is her life. I don't know. I don't, I'm not wishing her away. I'm just saying. But this year for me, it's just tender. Because I don't know how many more Christmases I've got with my dad. So, so this year, as I celebrate, I'm just going to celebrate a little differently. I'm just not going to take for granted some of the things I've taken before. I'm, I'm probably going to pause a little bit more. I'm going to reflect a little bit more. I'm going, to, I'm going to hold that hug, that embrace a little bit longer. I have some urgency in my heart. And today, I don't know what your Christmas looks like. And I don't know what you're facing today. I think in the midst of a season where we talk about joy, some of you today feel incredibly hopeless and broken. 
and empty. There's circumstances uh, at this time of the year. Uh, I've talked often the Christmas season. It can, it can multiply our joys, but man, it can multiply our sorrows. So maybe you feel incredibly lonely. Maybe you're incredibly fearful. Maybe there's relational brokenness and it's so disruptive. It's, it's a mess. Today, as we pray, I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will bring hope in the midst of whatever you're facing today. Because the good news for us this Christmas, whatever circumstances we're facing, we don't have to be king. We don't have to be in control. We can point to a moment in time that we are promised and we can look back. The track record is pretty good. Every promise he's made, he's kept. So we can look forward. We can long for the day when he will keep his promise again and he's gonna return and all will be made new. We can long for that day and it can give incredible hope no matter what you're facing today. So today as I pray for you, I wanna pray for hope. I wanna pray for hope. Would you stand? Would you receive this prayer as I pray for you? I don't know exactly what you need. The good news is God does. Our our God does. And he's the king. And he's the king so we can trust him today. So would you bow your heads? And I just want to pray. God, I pray today for hope. Hope in in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of questions that we have here and now, we long for the day that you'll return. We long for Christmas part two. And today we can have peace. We can have peace if we're in right relationship with you. We don't have to fear that moment. We don't have to fear what's happening around us now. We can have hope because we know there is a day where every knee will bow. There is a day when every tongue will confess. There is a day when we'll declare that you have no rival and no equal and you will reign forever. And so we long for that day, King Jesus. It gives us incredible hope. Hope for us. Hope for those around us that are broken. Hope for those around us that need your love. Hope for those around us that are ignored by others, but not by us. Because you're our king. Lead us and guide us. And and for the one today that stands so broken and so afraid and so alone, may the promise of the king of kings returning, may the promise of you coming again, may that bring incredible hope today, no matter what they're facing. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.